Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldana. It's been a wild freedom child Since I've left my rules back home This week we have the lovely Beck from Australia who finally decided with her third baby to stop compromising her vision and had a glorious home birth with her daughter. This free birth both challenged her marriage and the previous stories that she had been told about her body in birth. Beck is a doula turned radical birth keeper who shares how she chose to hop out of the machine and live her life aligned with her truth. My eldest is nearly six and a half. So, you know, seven or so years ago, I was more prior to that, really. I um, I read Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler. And that kind of woke me up in a way to my, you know, my understanding my female body and femininity in general. So I went off the pill, which I'd been on for too long. And it really just started to ask questions, I suppose. So prior to that, I was pretty mainstream, I suppose. I was into sport and was just very kind of alpha or very much in my masculine. So then I feel like I started this journey inwards to myself. Uh, so I went off the pill and then became pregnant with my first baby. And then my husband, who had already had six birth experiences prior to my first birth, had trauma. So straight away he was like, I think you should just have a planned cesarean. Whoa, out the gates. (laughs) Yeah, so that's what I I started with because his previous, you know, his sixth daughter had, it's sort of undiagnosed, but issues from the birth. Hmm. So, you know, so it's understandable that he had trauma around that. And I thought, right, okay. But then his mum said, oh, you just do it. You just breathe through it and you just push your baby out. So, you know, I guess you're pregnant with your first baby, early pregnancy, you're starting to get bits of information from people. And then I was very fortunate that a friend basically said, come with me, we need to have lunch together. And she said, you can home birth and it's great. You can have a natural birth, it's amazing. And, you know, basically had the talk with me, which I feel like we all need to have, (laughs) you know, have the talk. And, you know, you probably imagine my husband wasn't comfortable with the idea of home birth, but, you know, so I compromised 
and we had a birth centre birth with home birth midwives and it was it was all very straightforward. So there's a here where I live in Darwin there's there are no private midwives but there are government employed home birth midwives and they will either attend you at home or they'll attend you at the birth centre. So I guess I say it like that because they they're not hospital employees like the other type of midwives. Yeah, so they're still employed by the government, but they they operate slightly differently. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll give you a little bit more than hospital midwives. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we did that and, you know, my labour wasn't particularly long for first labour. It was maybe 30 hours all up. But, yeah, blew me apart. Just, you know, just come at it thinking, holy shit, women are just incredible and I look around other women who have babies and I'm like wow these people did that <laughs> it's just it was just in awe of everyone who'd ever given birth and then you know there were some elements of that birth which weren't great as well which I I recognized pretty quickly and you know unpacked that became pregnant with my second baby and decided to have him at home that was a very easy decision but I decided to go through that home birth service you know, that was all fine. I was happy with that service at that point and those midwives were particularly lovely at that time, about four years ago. And then at my birth I had, I think I, there were like six people there. It was a lot, <laughs> felt like a lot. So I kind of disappeared off to the bedroom a few times. But I kept coming back out. I'm not sure why. I bled a lot and after... That baby's birth, and it's been interesting in the radical birthkeeper school. Just you know, quietly listening to some different stories around postpartum hemorrhage, and I'm li- listening to it, and I think, yeah, maybe it wasn't actually a postpartum hemorrhage. Maybe it was just I bled a lot. You know, I still don't hundred percent know why, but I feel like just having all these people around me, I feel like that might have been it. So he was born, and you know, he's. Birth was lovely and wonderful, but then we transferred to the hospital about two hours later. Yeah, and so I stayed the night in the hospital with him. I didn't have anything once I got there. It was just observation. So then, yeah, it like proves you didn't need to go. That sucks. I didn't need a transfusion. I didn't even have IV, IV fluids or anything. I might have had IV fluids anyway. But my husband was away that night for his eldest daughter's wedding. Whoa, what? Wait, so was he at the birth of your son? He was there. And then after I went to hospital, he, he, left, t- oh. him and he, he left town to go to this wedding. Whoa. Oh. So what? that's a whole. Yeah, that's, that's a whole other. I've got like a lot of kind of abandonment residue from that. Yeah. Dang. Well, and it's a lose-lose for him because his daughter not having his her father at the wedding would be abandonment issues too, right? Like Exactly. Ah. And yeah. So interesting the way things work out. Dang, that's intense. So now okay, so you're spending the night alone with your baby, or do you have some other support with you? Yeah, so my sister stayed here with my other son and which was fine that you know, I didn't have to worry about him. But yeah, and like Tim came to hospital with me 
and, you know, helped me settle in and then left. And then, yeah, I was by myself overnight until my sister came to pick me up the next morning. So I just woke up in the morning, you know, I couldn't walk. So I'd obviously, you know, lost a decent amount of blood. I looked like I was yellow, Mm. (laughs) you know, white, but I was fine. And yeah, she came pick me up. So I just signed the forms to say, yep, see you later. You know, what is it? Leave without being discharged properly. And she came and picked me up. And luckily my friend midwife was on at that time. And so she was like, yeah, go home. It's fine. She just brought me the forms and there was no drama. And I said, you're going to need to get me a wheelchair. I actually can't walk. (laughs) So she wheeled me out to the car and popped me in, which was, which was fine. It was good that it was my friend in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went home and then it was a, a bit of a recovery after that, just rebuilding. But, um, yeah, and I really didn't look after myself properly in that postpartum. Mm. So it was a, that postpartum was a long recovery. Like physically I really felt it probably, you know, with the blood loss that recovered quite well, but my pelvic floor and, and everything was really quite affected. So that was going to be it for us in terms of having children, not, I didn't want to stop, but my husband thought that two children was enough and he worked a lot. He felt that he couldn't support me, you know, if I had more children and our relationship was kind of in a place where that was probably a sensible choice as well. But then, you know, we had a few big, big revelations in our relationship. I actually said I was leaving at one point. Well, when Ace, how old was Ace? don't know he wasn't very old and I was a bit over one and then that basically brought us down to bare bones yeah no more inhibitions no more everything got said yeah exactly which was really like we actually needed to go to that place Mm -hmm. and we actually rebuilt from there because I think he got a bit of a he got a shock and realized what he needed to do to be a good parent and then so he's like really stepped up and started being a good parent started doing all these things and I was like oh you're actually kind of turning into the person who I want to live with yeah right (laughs) fancy that well it's such a good example of like all of us have infinite potential and infinite capacity and infinite darkness and infinite light right like anybody could step up and become a beautiful loving person and parent or not (laughs) right like we're constantly at a crossroads of who we want to be and yeah sometimes it's gotta like you've got to really get smacked with what you're risking losing to (sighs) to really commit to that yeah exactly so it was really good for us and that that was so right now that was two and a half years ago and yeah our communication is just much better and you know, in a whole different place to what it was for the years and years prior to that. Mm. So from there, we said, well, let's have another baby. (laughs) (laughs) Because Tim knew that I really wanted one. And, um, you know, he's, you know, we've all got issues, but he's really about me living the life that I want to live and is kind of willing to support that even if he isn't 100%, you know, wanting the same direction. Anyway, so, yeah, Summer's conception was really lovely in terms of that period of knowing that we really wanted to have another baby and preparing for that. And, yeah, just that 
that conscious conception journey is just it's really lovely and exciting in itself before you're even pregnant. Mm-hmm. It's like the most romantic. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. Yeah. You know, to, to be intimate knowing that you're actually trying to create another human. It's oh, so good. It's so, so amazing. Yeah. And so I had a miscarriage first, which happened between the boys as well. And yeah, so that was a bit of a bummer, but, but it was fine. So then we tried again. But I always find that the, you know, from the previous miscarriage and one that I had many years ago, I found that when I become pregnant afterwards, I'm a little bit detached initially. Of course, you know, it's hard. It's hard to really go. Yes, here's my baby because it might not know. be my baby yet. Totally. <laughs> but I, you know, I think that's yeah, it's part of the journey. It's a huge part of the journey, actually. I've, you know, written a little, you know, a little piece on miscarriage and you know what a how it is such a learning experience even when it's so early yeah so so we tried again became pregnant and I rang the home birth service straight away I'm pregnant I'm booking in and you know but as you know they don't see you straight away as the weeks went by I was like "Eh, I I don't feel that fussed on them anymore and then I went to so you've got to go to a hospital appointment first because they're, you know, it's a government system. So you are still involved with the hospital and there's still certain requirements. So I went to this hospital appointment like 15 weeks, went in there with my two children and my pregnant, you know, nauseous self, waited in the waiting room for four hours. Whoa. It's, it's ridiculous. This is what they do. And if, because if you're late, you go to the back of the list. Like I had two kids because so I was late and <laughs> waited for four hours. And then with these two kids in this waiting room and then went in, saw a midwife, you know, they give you a domestic violence questionnaire. They give you a, a you know, intrapartum or pregnancy depression questionnaire, ask you if you're going to breastfeed. It's like I've already been breastfeeding for four years. Non-stop. <laughs> yes, I'm going to breastfeed. Just stuff like that where it, you know, took my blood pressure and then, oh, you could try listening to baby with the Doppler. I said, no, nah, it's okay. I mean, my baby's fine. And gave me a swab to do to test for STIs that I was, you know, fairly confident I didn't have. Gave me a referral for an ultrasound, gave me a referral for all this stuff and I walked out of there. Oh, no, and then I had an appointment with a doctor midwife and then you go to the doctor and the doctor you know spouted the same stuff and and I just thought what did I get out of that absolutely nothing it's the most generic shit (laughs) like it's the most run-of-the-mill assembly line generic you know non-personal just yeah I'm glad you had the wherewithal to even ask yourself that question like what did I get out of it yeah, you know, I just really, I always reflect, you know, every experience I have and then every experience that, that my clients have that I witness, I think what would happen if this was a first-time mother who didn't have support, didn't have the awareness to ask questions? It's just a, ah, oh, it's just a production line. Well, we know what happens. Of course, you know. Yeah, you know, well, yeah, exactly. We know what happens, but when you when you, you see the actual situation of an appointment like that, where you just get nothing, 
there's no nothing personal, nothing acknowledging the journey of pregnancy that you're going through. It's just uh, so just a waste of time, and oh, it's just the start of that that you know industrial obstetric. You just hop into the machine. It's about on the other end with people who don't care about you. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's some provider somewhere that might remember a name or like whatever, but the vast majority of stories we hear is, yeah, just this jumping into the machine and no one knows anyone and no one tracks with anyone. And yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So I came home from that appointment and I thought, well, I'm not going back there. And I looked at my ultrasound referral and I'd listened to Yolanda's podcasts about ultrasound at that point and read Sarah Buckley's article about ultrasound. I thought, well, can't have an ultrasound, which means can't use a home birth service. So I thought, oh, well. And I'd, I'd started listening to the Free Birth Society podcast at that point. Uh, oh, and a, a local woman here, a couple of women actually, I was starting to hear about friend or people that I knew having free births and, and there was a midwife who had had a, who was planning a free birth and I thought oh if yeah you know if they can do it I can do it and I thought oh this is going to be a fun conversation with my husband <laughs> so I just kept it from, to myself for a little while I just wanted to let my confidence build first you know there's probably no point in talking to someone who you know is going to be against something if you're not really convicted yourself because then it's just I wanted to be really convicted. Anyway, by about 20 weeks, I was, I knew what I was doing. So I had the conversation with Tim and he, I think he didn't really understand what I was talking about initially. Yeah, I don't think he thought that that was even a thing that you did. Just, you know, just birth at home with your, with your family or, you know, whoever you whoever you choose. So that remained a bone of contention most of the time. It was really tricky. So that that disagreement, well, it wasn't even a disagreement, it was just me knowing what I wanted. And I I think he was even, and he has said this, he was actually, I don't know if scared is the right word, but he was really kind of alarmed at how I was just like a a dog with a bone. Like there was no way I like I couldn't be re- reasoned with or I, you know, not that I not that it's unreasonable, but I couldn't be swayed. And I think he found that a bit scary, like, wow, this woman actually knows what she wants. And, you know, I think a woman who knows what she wants is probably a little bit threatening. It's threatening to our own internalized misogyny, right, yeah. which we all have. I mean, that that's yeah. the part that gets threatened with a powerful woman. Yeah. Yeah, so that was interesting. Um, <laughs> but as I went along and just, you know, took charge of my own journey, you know, how amazing completely different journey and I've been having this conversation lately with some clients around they ask the question how will I know if my baby's okay and you know in a roundabout kind of way you know obviously it's a longer conversation but say you are the authority the only the way that the you know other people find out their baby is okay by relying on external information which takes your takes your focus and takes your trust elsewhere, you know, to a machine. Also, we are our babies. Our babies are us. Our babies are inside of our bodies. And it's not just with pregnancy that we see this in 
the Western model of care, right? Like we, we, well, we don't, but plenty of people go to the doctor to find out if they're okay about lots of stuff, about everything, right? Their hearts, their uteruses, their brains, their everything. So on the one hand, it's, it feels really absurd that we're going to other people who don't know us, trusting toys more than us. But also this is the culture that we're in. And it's not, it doesn't start and stop with pregnancy. That said, it really is like a whole way of living. You know, like I would never go to the doctor unless there was or like there was something really, really, really clear going on that I didn't understand. And then it would make sense to me to seek out more input. I mean, and a doctor is probably not who like my first pick would be depending on what the issue was. But my point is, you know, even with pregnancy, like it's not like, I don't know. I mean, most women I know who free birth, they're not like stone cold, never going to get help. It's more like, well, everything seems fine. And what would that look like to trust that and center that? And then if something doesn't seem fine. Of course, I'm open to more input. But it's so backwards to go into a system and be like, can you just like pathologize me and see if you can find something wrong? (laughs) You know, that's basically what we're doing with everything, even with just like annual checkups, or I don't even I don't even know the language of what people go and do with doctors, but or, or like even well baby visits with pediatricians like Yolanda and I have been talking about that lately just this concept of a well baby visit is so weird and and it's a lie that's not actually what is happening right like you bring a well baby into a place where they try to find if the baby's not well it's weird anyway it just shows up in all of the ways you know that yeah this idea that the baby actually it's not an idea the truth that the baby is us it's no different than our heart and our and our arms and our eyes and our blood. It is us. It's inside of us. It, and, you know, it's this real fracture in society, obviously, which is the whole fucking point to keep us oppressed. But to see the baby as something different or outside of the woman is how they have been able to successfully convince so many women to be, yeah, disempowered and instinct injured and all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that was just, yeah, such a, such a realization on this journey. And I, you know, I am grateful for my previous births being part of the system because it really gives me that solid comparison. Totally. What it feels like to not own exactly all those things that you just said, not own the fact that your baby's you. Yeah. And yeah, the, the comparison of having just, you know, a relatively wild pregnancy so different, so much more awareness of what was going on inside, just this really acute tuning in with my baby and my body just all the time. And, yeah, of course, you know, if, if I noticed something that felt wrong or felt problematic, then I would have sought assistance somewhere, but I didn't. And I'm, you know, I'm the authority on my body and my baby. I knew I was fine. Uh, so as you're, as you're planning for your free birth, can you speak for a minute to how you kind of wrapped your head around the the notion that you may have had a hemorrhage last time? And like, how did you kind of sort that out in confidence and clarity heading up to this autonomous birth? Yeah, so that was probably the biggest thing initially 
that was my biggest fear initially right. because I still believe that I had had a postpartum hemorrhage and that that was, you know, that was a problem in my previous birth and I couldn't really work out why. You know, I didn't have, you know, I didn't have as much information as I have now. So, you know, probably for three quarters of the time, that was my biggest concern. And then yeah, I had a, I had a small list of concerns. There was postpartum hemorrhage. I wasn't really worried about the baby getting stuck because the other two had come out fine. You know, my other concern was, you know, baby not breathing. I think, you know, we all kind of, that's all that's in there for everybody, most people. So with the postpartum hemorrhage, I basically just learned everything I could about how to prevent a postpartum hemorrhage. Yeah, I just had enough information that I felt felt like, well, I have the tools that I need and worst comes to worst, call an ambulance. Like the ambulance station is literally a block away from us. Oh, really? <laughs> so I don't know, provided my husband some reassurance anyway. So how, who do you plan to have there and, and what's it like leading up to the birth and then you can go into the story. Yeah. So I kind of made some half, half-assed attempts to find a traveling midwife. I kind of, you know, stuck it in a Facebook group. And this was for Tim. This wasn't even for me. This was just so I could have him feel more comfortable and able to support me. So, yeah, I mean, there were a couple of leads, but, you know, nothing really work, ended up working out. Because you didn't want it. Because <laughs> I, I didn't want one there. Yeah. <laughs> and putting effort in like that for someone else is, you know, it's not okay. But I did at the time, you know, you grow and you learn. And by the end he was pretty resigned to the fact that I was just going to do what I was going to do and he couldn't stop me. So that's just where it had to get to. So I ended up, so my sister, she was at my previous birth as well and she's kind of my main, she's my person. So she was always going to be there. My sister and and then I ended up asking my friend who has attended births, I asked her to come along as well. That helped Tim because he thought, oh, she's attended births before, she's, you know, she's got some experience and she's just a really lovely, calm presence. So I had those two and, yeah, and Tim was there as well. So what's the vibe between you and Tim, like, as you head into birth? Like, is he all good and you guys are clean and clear and, or is there tension because he's still nervous? Like what's, what's it feel like between you two? Yeah. So there is, there, there was tension, which was really, it was really upsetting because we'd sort of got to this good place. We'd conceived our baby mm-hmm. and then we just gradually kind of went into this funk approaching mm-hmm. birth because of that, because of that real disagreement in what we thought was best. So it was really disappointing and really upsetting. And and after I'd had summer, he actually said, you know, I, I don't want to have any more babies with you because because of how you how you were. You were just so I can't remember the word he used, but you, you were just so like set on what you were doing and I, I just couldn't even talk to you about it. And I was like, oh. anyway, we've since spoken more. My blood is boiling right now. <laughs> Because it's not true. It's not true that he couldn't talk. That's not true, right? Like it's that, like what you said earlier, that that 
he is typically, or I don't remember exactly the way you said it, like really good about like supporting you to live your life and do what you want, except not, right? Because here's a massively Mm. important example, you know, and it's not, it's not even about him. Like this is how we're all socialized. This is, this is a patriarchal family dynamic where the, the man is, well, I would call it confused, but it's because I disagree with it. But really it's that he has a conditioning of being the authority of the family, right? And this isn't like a fault. This is how most men or all men probably are raised. And it's probably what he saw in his family. And, you know, and he's a kind of unique example of having already had so many children with somebody else or however many other people, you know, that there's already this this really like lifelong set really deep, like not even conscious necessarily organization around how a marriage should look and how he should get to like weigh in or his, his opinion should get whatever, you know, under, you know, heard or, or accommodated to. And it's really deep, 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 often unconscious stuff that you don't even know you're working with it until you come against it. Like I always say, I've been thinking a lot about it lately that we really don't know who we are with somebody until there's conflict. And it's in conflict that every, that the truth actually comes up because it's easy when you're getting along with somebody, but when you really disagree with somebody, that's that says everything about what is unconsciously here, right? And it's not necessarily a problem. It's just very revealing. And so many women, as you know, deal with this where they feel mostly, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I'm speaking more generically for a ton of women we both probably know that they feel really great in their marriage. They feel like you know, partners, like they're great. They have a wonderful working household and, and blah, blah, blah. And then they want a free birth or home birth. And it, it shows the shadow. It shows the work that there is still to be done. And, and it's not necessarily a problem, right? Like there's always shadows in all relationships and, you know, it's, it's so personal, but, but it really, I know I'm a broken record. I talk about this all the time, but it really does flag the misogyny that's still inside all of us. It's not just your husband. It's inside all of us that we want to, you know, that we would even consider having someone there for his comfort or that goes against what we actually want or, you know, all the stuff that we both already know. But it's it's such a common conflict that women come up against when they're when they are stepping into their power and when they are doing this deep, fucking work around what it means to own our bodies in a society that we were never taught that that's okay. And yeah, and I think it's really confusing for a lot of men who haven't also done their own work around their conditioning. <sighs> yeah, absolutely. And as women who, you know, we unconsciously support that happening. Like you exactly. say, we've all got this, this, you know, misogyny inside us that's difficult to remove yeah so I went into labor you know I knew I was in labor by the you know by the afternoon by the Saturday afternoon um and you know put the boys to bed and as I was putting them to bed uh lying down with them it was getting uncomfortable to lie down so like yeah here we go so I was just trying to get them to sleep they went to sleep and then it just gradually you know gradually increased and I just heated up heat packs through the night and I didn't sleep that night but I got up when did I get up must have been about three 
maybe it was earlier. I think I got up around midnight and then just kind of got a few things organised, you know, got out towels and stuck some different things on the kitchen bench that other people might find helpful when they were there, you know, that my sister would be able to use so that people weren't kind of ratting around looking for things or asking me questions. And so I was alone for most of that time, which I was, which I was happy with. I just find it to be such a reverent and spiritual experience. It's like a, you know, it's just like this super intense moving meditation and just labouring in the dark alone for me is just magic, you know, hardcore but magic. Hardcore <laughs> so magic. Had, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good term. And so I had had this beautiful music playing that I'd been just relaxing to throughout my pregnancy and, you know, just the glow of my salt lamp with crystals and it was just so nice. And I just wanted it to stay dark the whole time. But then, yeah, during the labour, I just I just loved being solely responsible because I was I was in that I was in that trance that we go into, but was still acutely aware of everything that was going on in my body, acutely aware of my baby's movements. So not not in a thinking way that was drawing me out of that trance, but in a just in a feeling way. So the awareness was, you know, it didn't take away from my labor at all. And yes, amazing because I was able to kind of feel, yeah, I I can feel where the baby is. I can feel that there's building pressure and the baby's moving down. And at one point I thought, I thought I must be transitioning because I feel like I need my people here. And I love that labor because at no point did I get that I can't do it anymore. It was interesting. It was, yeah, I just knew that I could do it one at a time. It was just a waiting, just had to wait and be patient. So I got my sister to come over and my friend to come over and they came over sort of fairly close together and, you know, they just snuck in, didn't say anything, but amazing, amazing how that impacts your labour. Like things slowed down a tiny bit. I just kind of had a few spaced contractions. But then, you know, that always makes me think, gee, getting in your car, leaving home, it's just, it's crazy with you. So I was, my two previous labours, I'd been standing up walking around. And so this time I thought, now that, I thought, no, that wore me out. I'm going to try a, you know, a more restful approach. So I just had a, we've got a, like a single bed on a, on a tiny stand in the in the living room so I knelt on the floor with some folded up yoga mats and stuff and just leaned over that little single bed and was just moving my bottom moving my body and and then just resting my bottom down on my heels during the breaks I just wanted to have the most restful experience that I could so you know wasn't as exhausted afterwards yeah I could I just knew exactly what my body was doing I knew where my baby was I could feel the baby moving and then the you know, the intensity got more and more and then I, my sound started to change. I could feel that I was starting to push. So it was starting to get light by this point. My sister and my friend arrived at like 5 and 6 a.m. And then as the sun started to come up, I was kind of a little bit disappointed that I hadn't birthed in the dark. 
like, oh, damn, we're coming into the day because I was in the living room and it was going to be broad daylight. I'd given birth in broad daylight the two, first two times as well, <laughs> which is fine. I just like the idea of it being a bit darker. Mm-hmm. And then my kids woke up. So Tim had been in bed with the kids this whole time, which was fine because it, it kind of kept them asleep. You know, they were only, mm-hmm. you know, four and a half and two and a half or something. They're only little. And so the, the kids had woken up and my eldest one was crying and he, you know, he wouldn't normally cry. And, you know, apparently he was afraid of the noises I was making. And, but I really think they, you know, they probably fed off Tim's anxiety around it all, you know, which is why they would have been upset. So he, he said that he would take them to my mum's place, which was only five minutes away. I thought in my head, you might miss the birth because <laughs> I could just feel those, that, those starting, you know, my sensations had started to change. I felt like mm-hmm. I was starting to push. And I'd only pushed for about 10 minutes with my second baby. So I thought, well, this might not take that long. And I said, okay, whatever. You know, I'm very much of the opinion that everything works out the way it needs to. So if he's not meant to be here for the birth, then that's what's happening right now. So he went and dropped the boys at mum's place and came back and I was well into pushing by then. I was making all the big noises and experiencing the big feelings of just being completely blown apart physically, emotionally, spiritually, all the levels, which at the time is just so epic. But, you know, when you have the, you know, when you've got a bit of space and you look back, you're like, yeah, that's just so incredible. And, yeah, this whole time I just knew my baby was fine. And, yeah, you can't put your finger on it. I can't put my finger on how I knew that, but just I just knew. I just knew that she was fine. And then I think she was born, you know, within 10 minutes of him getting home. So I was still kind of in that forward-leaning position. I did want to catch my own baby, but I was in that forward-leaning position and I wasn't moving. So, you know, someone else was going to have to do that for me. Thanks very much. So Tim was behind me. It was another cool thing that I was doing, which I hadn't done before, was, I, I, you know, I was putting my finger inside to feel where her head was and I could feel her head coming down. I didn't know she was a her at that point because I hadn't had any ultrasounds or anything. I could feel her head coming down and as her head was crowning, I had my hand on her head the whole time. And, yeah, I just really loved that of just really working with my baby, mm-hmm. getting feedback from my body, feeling my baby come down. It was really, really amazing. So I had my hand on her head the whole time while her head was out, you know, waiting for the rest of her body to be born. And then, and then she was born into Tim's hands. And then he passed her underneath and, yeah, and this, this is just a little interesting part here that I haven't quite worked out yet. So he passed her underneath me and before I had a chance to even pick her up, I just kind of looked, saw that she was a girl, which was pretty exciting because I already have two boys. And then my placenta separated right then and came out. So she got that gush of that separation bleed. She got that splashed on her face. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So I had to, I had to like, I just <laughs> quickly. Sorry, <laughs> baby. <laughs> oh, sorry. You came out beautiful and then you splashed with blood. Well, she was living in that thing for 10 months, so it's fine. <laughs> it was fine. It was more that I was like, oh, I better get that off your face. So totally. You breathe and stuff. Mm-hmm. But she was born and she just went like that. Like she was with it. Straight away. There was not even, 
not even a, a second of waiting. Mm-hmm. So that that was like, oh, don't have to worry about that. Something that I've been thinking about for nine months. Totally. Just, she was fine. But her, her cord was white when she was mm-hmm. born. And, yeah, so it was just really, I was like, well, of course she was with it because she had to be. Yeah, she was ready. Well, and that makes sense with the yeah. placenta separating then. and Yeah, and the placenta came out. It dropped down like I felt it immediately. Just got my little bucket and birthed the placenta into it. Yeah, so it was really interesting how fast the mm-hmm. yeah the birth of the placenta happened. It was it was straight after her, and yeah, saw that I had my little girl, hmm. which was really just a whole. Of course, I love my boys, but gee, yeah, like this mother daughter thing is just a whole a whole another thing of mm. just knowing that I'm, you know, my lineage continues and my women's wisdom. Yeah, you have yeah. a little woman. It's, it's faster. amazing. Right. And I still, I almost, like she's, how old is she? She's 19 months now and I still sometimes can't believe that I had this little woman in my life. It's just so beautiful. So cool. Yeah. So then any any blood concerns afterwards? No, so I was, same as in labour, I was, you know, without coming out of that bubble that I was now in. I was just, you know, I could, I was noticing what was happening with the blood, but my sister was, that was kind of her job. She was watching me and, and I felt good that she was watching me. So she was actually mainly watching just my face because she said with the, with my previous birth, when I had bled, she said my face just went white and I changed, which, you know, we know is, you know, a sign that there's something's happening. So she said, she wasn't really watching the blood. She was just watching my face. And she said, your face didn't change. You were fine. Mm which was, yeah, it was cool that she kind of had the awareness that that was the indicator to look at. Yeah, and that the little, you know, the postpartum love bubble started <laughs> just uninterrupted, you know, which shouldn't be so amazing. Right. But it kind of is in this culture. Right, like to her birth, being able to say no one sabotaged my birth. Like so few women could really say that. So when do you become a birth worker Bef- with this birth or had, were you already doing it prior to summer? Yeah, I was already doing it. I can't remember if it was, it must've been when Ace was little. I was teaching birth education prior to when I was pregnant with Ace. So five years ago and then started attending births when Ace was a baby. But you know, kind of few and far between. It's pretty hard making yeah. that happen with a baby. Yeah, so I suppose that was, you know, three and a half, four years ago, three and a half years ago. And how does how does this free birth, like, radicalize you since I know now that you attend births outside the system and all of this, so kind of like weave, weave that together for me? Yeah, it just it changes everything. And I feel like I've had a good, you know, I had a had personal experience in the system and what that feels like and then personal experience just being autonomous and what that feels like. And I feel like I'm really able to share, share that really deep inner aspect with women who are on the fence or who are kind of express wanting certain things and so say, well, you know, have you considered this 
way of doing it. This is this is what it feels like, and this feels like kind of what you're seeking, mm-hmm. or what you haven't put words to yet. You know, without trying to sell ideas to people, <laughs> it's yeah. I think it's really you know I had that woman sit me down and talk to me about what was possible for me. And this is the difference of it's not selling an idea if you're just like planting seeds of, you know, rooted from your own wisdom and experiences. Like that's, that's what women want of each other. And it doesn't mean they're going to do what you did. And that's not the point. And that goes into not having an agenda, but like, it is our job as women and mothers and friends and sisters to have the courage to plant these seeds. And then women can do whatever they want to do with them, you know? And, and it's, it's fine. Like we, they can, like we trust women, obviously, Mm -hmm. but I think so many women are afraid to, you know, we have such a weird isolated culture where it's like, don't, don't get involved. It's not your business. Like, who are you? And to overcome that and be like, no, I'm a sister. You're a first time pregnant mom. Like, do you know that birth can happen at home? Do you know that it can be amazing? Like what your friend said to you, what an important thing to hear, regardless of what you go on to choose. Because in a world where we know most women's brains are full of poison about our own bodies and birth, we absolutely have a responsibility to discharge to combat that horrific narrative. Yeah, absolutely. And I really see it as a responsibility to share. Yeah, because I have heard stories of women who have had friends who could have shared. And then they've then said, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you warn me? And I just think I would, yeah, I'd be so devastated if someone came back to me and said that. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I I always share. And, oh, yeah, the thing that really gets me is people, you know, the majority of people say, oh, you're so brave. And I just think, no, you know, yeah. I think what other people do is, you know, birthing in the system it's not, I don't know if it's brave, but I just think, no, that is scarier. Like when you actually look at all of the, look at it all, yeah. And so I just think, no, this this isn't brave. This is just <laughs> normal. That's what and Yolanda always says, that she's such a wimp and that's why she free births. <laughs> I know. I love that. I know. It's so funny. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. And And I, you know, I almost think I... I don't know, like there's lots of funny reasons you can say you're free birth. I like I could say I free birth because I'm lazy. Like I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna put clothes on and get in the car and go to the drive down the to the next suburb in the hospital. Like what yeah. a drag. I couldn't be yeah. bothered doing that at the best of times. The story, you know, the women that I really feel for are ones that felt like, oh, I didn't really want to leave home. Mm-hmm. But that's just what you do. You know, I think, oh wow. There's just you know our trajectories in life are just based on a decision now. Yeah. It always, I mean, it just always blows my mind because really like the choice to just stay home and not do anything is the the most passive choice in a way, right? Because it requires the least amount of effort in a way, but still the most cry cry. Hmm. So how, okay, so let's wrap up with how, I mean, I know this is like very personal, but I'm just so curious. Like, how is it with Tim now after your free birth? That's a, that's, I feel like we need to, we have to know. (laughs) (laughs) Where does this story go? Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's, I mean, it took a while to, for us to kind of recalibrate after that. And yeah, you know, I understand that would have been a big, you know, it would have been a big thing for him. 
but we've, you know, we're at a pretty good place and we're actually planning another baby. Oh, <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> and which you know, probably seems a bit crazy after all that, but um, which I'm so excited about. And he, he basically says, well, I suppose you're going to do what you're going to do. <laughs> no shit, Tim. <and>, <laughs> like, yeah, probably am. He did, you know, sort of asked, you know, what do you, what would you do? And I said, well, same as last time. It's like, okay. And, yeah, so he feels like that's okay, but he's not sure if he could witness my birth. And, um, like, he just finds that, you know, he just doesn't want to be in the room basically. Yeah, for me it makes me feel a bit sad because, yeah. you know, I see, other, I see other partners being really supportive and just being really present. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, yeah, you know, if that's what it comes down to, then I respect that choice. And I feel like I would get more relevant and solid support from mm-hmm. other women anyway. But yeah, so it's funny. You know, maybe I'll update you in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to, of course. You know, and I will say I have been to some, not, a, not as many as I would like, but I've definitely been to some all-woman births where the male partner, well, either there wasn't a male partner and it was a lesbian couple or the male partner for whatever reason wasn't present, like, you know, all sorts of different reasons I can come up with. And I mean, they really rank as like the most amazing, some of the most amazing births I've ever been to when it's just women. It's pretty cool. So I can see the, I can see the, the possibility there. I mean, there's just something you can't, you can't, touch what happens with an all-woman birth I can't even really put words to it have you ever been to a birth with just women you just made me think of that I went to a birth with and the it was a, a midwife attended home birth with a single woman and a male midwife came come on oh, what? wow <laughs> okay so no <laughs> no <laughs> no yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm excited to see where the next journey goes. But what I'm really excited about is starting a pregnancy without having knowing what the end goal is, without having to worry about, yeah, you know, compromising for anyone, without having to worry about finding a midwife or whatever, to be able to just start and just yeah, be sail free. through. Yeah, pretty excited about that. Awesome. Okay, yeah. you'll have to obviously. Keep us in the loop. <laughs> I will come back with your all woman birth. We could put it on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and and just the journey. You know, I'm even thinking about about your husband and like from suggesting you have a scheduled C section to catching his baby in a free birth. You know, what a journey for your whole family that this has been. Yeah, and and even for my kids. You know, they're just such. They're just very aware of birth and they just think it's normal that you have your baby at home. And so sometime, like yesterday, I was at a hospital birth. So this woman had planned a home birth and um, things had happened in her pregnancy and she ended up having a hospital birth. So I continued to support her. And the boys say, oh, she's birthing in the hospital. Why? Is there something wrong with her? Well, yeah, she's a little bit sick. So they, yeah, I just love that my kids are growing up with that. Yeah, so it's just yeah. our whole family benefits from that awareness. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Emily. 
And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. Our opening song is by Shyla Ray. And now I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension, I will fly and bring her back from the